Johnson Ihiago. Be stirred as you listen. started a teaching on you know anchor the word and me okay anchor the word and me and basically what we were talking about was the word of god being our anchor in this world of many voices the word of god being that anchor especially when you know i said something last week i said how we live in a world where anybody who has a large following in terms of anybody who has a a podcast that has large subscribers or has a YouTube channel with a lot of subscribers and any niche they decide to talk about the person automatically is a professional okay and um, whether it is about whether it aligns with God's word or not you know we continually hear voices shout out to us shout out through movies shout out through books shout to us through the different the different facets of media even through people that we love all right we we continually consistently hear the voice of this world shout to us and um that's really what we're, we're here to talk about that despite the fact that the world is loud on many things we trust the word of god to give us stability on those things despite the fact that the world seems to want to suggest many things to us we trust the word and we only get stability from god's word and i will start by this i had a quote from um a man of god i love and honor i heard him say this many years ago he said he said don't be the kind of christian that when the word of god has when, when, you know, you're in an argument and someone says, the Bible says, of course, it has to be in a, you know, um, contextually correct, doctrinally explained and whatnot, rightly divided, that's what I mean. He said, be the kind of Christian that when someone says, the Bible says, all your arguments, all contentions cease. He said, be that kind of Christian. Be that kind of believer. Be the kind of believer that your arguments end once the word of God has something to say. Or your opinions, in quote, become irrelevant once the word of God has something to say. Be that believer. Be that believer. Be that believer. And I've decided that that's the way I'm going to live my life. You know, that once the word of God has something to say about things, all right, every argument, every contention you might have seizes on that matter. And on that, that is why we started off on this new series called Anchor. And I think it's very um, instructive that before we started this series, you know, the Lord led us to do a series on Bible hermeneutics. It's a crash course, but it's eight parts. It's a crash course that we did on Bible hermeneutics. We did that before this. So when you're studying your Bible, you're not just reading into it the meaning. You are getting what the author intended to be the meaning of that Bible verse. So even as the word of God is being your anchor, it's going to be the word rightly divided. And just to link both together, you see, a lot of people are quick to think that, Oh, everything that is in the Bible is God's word. And it's not true. Because in the Bible, the devil spoke. Men spoke. 
men spoke in the place of God, whereas it was not God speaking. I mean, if this was a proverb that had continued in Israel, but we see Ezekiel correct it. Ezekiel said, let this proverb not be used again in Israel, in Israel, that the children have eaten sour grapes. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. He said, let it not be used again because this proverb had been used in Israel and people probably thought that it was the will or it was the counsel of God. But we get to see Ezekiel come up and say, hey guys, this is not what is supposed to be. This is not what it has been passed down to you. This is not the counsel of God. And that is why the word of God has to be rightly divided to know who is talking, who is saying what to who, under what dispensation is what being said. You read it in context. You know, you get the literal, the literal translation. You know, if he's using a figure of speech, you read it in line with the figure of speech. And something that we said, or two things that we said is, number one, the Bible is gotten, the best of the Bible is gotten at face value. No depth, no um, ambiguity, just the simplicity of the truth. The best of the Bible is gotten at face value. That's number one. And number two, the Bible at the basest, the Bible at its basis form is but a book. The way you read every book and you want to read what the author intended is the same way that the Bible should be read. And what the author intended should be the only thing that should be read into what the Word of God says. Praise the living Jesus. So today, tonight, we're going to continue on what we started off on last week and... Um, the message is going to be uploaded on our Telegram channel. You can listen to it. I know for some of us here, let me just quickly make an announcement. For some of us here that, you know, we've been talking about streaming platforms very soon. We've already started uploading on streaming platforms and they are distributing already. So very soon, all messages will be available on various streaming platforms as necessary. Today, we're going to continue on, um, we're going to continue on, you know, we're going to continue on Anchor, The Word and Me. And we're going to be calling this part two. Alright. So last week I spoke on a few things. Today we're going to just go deeper on this subject. And um, I, I, I started this by tagging it, by talking about something first on this particular class. Consecration. Consecration is something that is very, very important. If you are not consecrated to the plan of God, if you don't align to the plan of God, or you don't know why consecration is important, both will get you into trouble. Let me say that again. If you are not consecrated, or you don't know why consecration is, both of them are wrong. And I will explain. So I'm just going to start by talking about consecration. And you guys know, you know, last week I, I, I started speaking about how the apostles taught. The apostles did not just teach um, as regards do this or don't do this. They told us why we should do this, why we should not do that, how we should do this, how we should not do that, and how we are supposed to respond in line with God's word and why. So I said that the, the apostles taught us and they said we are to 
um, be humble. You know, let the mind that was in Christ be in you, in that he counted it not robbery to be equal with God. So the same way that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of the cross, is the same way humility and service to the brethren should be in the heart of every saint. The same way we were forgiven is the same way we should forgive all men who trespass against us. And that is exactly what we see. And even in consecration, you see, it's not just enough to teach. What is very important is to teach the way the apostles taught. Let me say that again. It's not just important to teach. It's important to teach the way the apostles taught. It's important to teach subjects the way the apostles taught those subjects. So, you see, Paul talking to the church at Corinth, when they had, you know, the church at Corinth, where they were committing sin that even unbelievers would marvel at. All right, that's what Paul let us understand. And, you see, Paul did not just open the letter and say, you are going to hell. And that is the way a lot of people attack, in quotes, sin. Or when a lot of people say holiness is not being preached, what they expect to be preached is that as you are opening the sermon, you are saying you are going to hell. If you are sinning, you are going to hell and whatnot. But we don't see that to be the way the apostles thought. Even though the apostles were very strong on Christian conduct, to the point that Paul said, if anybody does not bear those, you hand him over to his father, the devil. Alright, because it is impossible to be born of this spirit and not to have offshoots which are called fruit of the same spirit. And Paul says to hand to send that person away. Why? So that that leaven will not leaven the whole lump. Praise Jesus. So I'm gonna go on on this, even on consecration, it is something very important to note and to look out for. Look at look at the way the apostles taught it. He said, um, like, like, I, like, like I dropped on this, the Christian faith does not just, the Christian faith has the reasons for things to be done. And I keep saying this quote I heard from a man of God. He said, God is not agnostic on any matter. God is not agnostic on any matter. God's word has an opinion on areas of your life. So you don't just give because giving is good. There is a, there is a, there's the what in the communication of the giving, there is even the how. Because it says, be cheerful as you give. There is a how. Alright, First Corinthians 7.23. I always use this same set of verses. Because this is how the apostles taught us. It says, ye are bought with a price, be ye not the servants of men. So, Paul lets us understand that because we are bought with a price, we cannot be servants of men. Because we have been bought with the life of another, we have been purchased, we have been purchased with the price redemption, with the life of the God-man. Therefore, we cannot be servants of men, we only could be servants of God. Because we have been bought with his blood, we don't live the way we like. We live unto him who called us to honor and glory. And this is why the apostles can be, can be loud on Christian, on, on Christian conduct. Because they understand that you are no longer your own. You see, when Paul says, you know, Paul, a bond servant, the word there is doulos. A bond servant. In salvation, we are sons. All right? In salvation, we are sons, but in ministry, in ministry, we are servants. And the truth of the matter is, your Christian work will be incomplete 
It will be incomplete if you only if you only rest in sonship and not come to the reality of being a servant. Your Christian work will be incomplete if you only rest in sonship and not come to the place of servanthood. And what does that mean? It's not like there are two different things, okay? They are very intermingled. In fact, your, your being a servant stems from the fact that you delight in being a son. Your being a servant of God stems from the fact that you delight in being a son of God. So, in you being a son of God, in you being a joint heir with God, when you live your life, you don't live for yourself, you don't live unto yourself, you don't live the way you like, you, you carry out his own ambitions. Why? Because you are bought with a price. The Bible lets us understand that Jesus died and Jesus rose again that he might be Lord of the living and the dead. If he died, rose never to die again, you know, for all men. Therefore, all men owe their allegiance to the one who died and rose again. Guys, am I communicating? Look at what Paul says. He says, um, 2 Corinthians 5, I love this one. It says, for the love of Christ constrained us. The word constrained in another place, you know, the Greek can be translated as compels us. It can, be, it can be translated as compels us. The love of Christ is what motivates us. It's what spurs us on. Because we first judge. So look at what Paul is saying now. Paul is using, you see, when I read the letters of Paul, I cannot but conclude that Paul is an intelligent writer. Because many times when Paul is arguing of some things, Paul did not just talk carelessly. He, he logically stated his point. And that's exactly what we will do next week. You know, we'll look at a few of those things in our lives. He logically stated some points. So I'll give you one, for example, um, just like this verse we're about to read. Look at what he says here. He said, because we thus judge. So he's saying, because we understand that if one died for all, then we are dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Do you see that? But unto him which died and rose again. He, so he's saying we understand these things, that if he died for all, then we are dead in him. Our death is found in him. So we have died in his death. He says, and that he, so he's continuing his logic. He's saying, and that he died for all. He died for every man. That they which live. So he died for everybody, that they which live in accordance with that death will no longer live unto their own self. Do you see this? So there is a life, in quote, or there is a living that stems from the fact that we first died. Oh my goodness. Guys, do we get this? Do we get this? There is a living or there is a life that stems from the fact that we first died. There is a manner and a mode of life that stems from the fact that we first died. And that is what I was explaining. That he died for all. So in his death, your death was taken into cognizance. Your death was imputed. Your death, your death was taken into, into recognition. All right, In his death. So in his death, your death was recorded. Then he now says that day which lives. So that death is sonship. 
And then the life we live is Galatians 2.20. He said, and the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So the life that we live, or Paul started by saying, um, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. So we get to understand the fact that the life that we live has nothing to do with the way we feel, the way I want to do things. Or it doesn't even primarily have to, and it has to do with our ambitions. It has to do with his death first. Then the life we live stems from that death. So in his death, our death was taken into account. What does that mean? In his death, sonship was there. But in our living from that death is ministry. In our living from that death is ministry. Look at this. Let me read on. So he said, under he died, that day which lived. So there is a living from the standpoint of death. Should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which did what? Died for them and rose again. But unto them who, unto him which died for them and rose again. So, child of God, there is a consecration you have been called to. Because he died for you, and you thus judge and understand it, that he died for you, the life you live is not just careless. The life you live stems from the fact that he first died for you. Guys, am I communicating? Please let me know in the comment section. Am I communicating? Let me know. Praise God. Now, I'm going to read one. I think I've communicated that. I will come back to consecration. Okay, now I just want to draw a straight line between what that and what, what we're really dealing with. You see, I was watching a movie and then the person said something like, he said, she said, why are we still honoring the Bible? You know, the life expectancy at that time was 30 years, 40 years. Why do we still honor the Bible? There is no point in her words, basically. To honoring the Bible. Because why do we still do that? Because now technology has evolved. Things have gotten different. So why should we honor the Bible? Why? You know. And a lot of people have questions in that direction. And those are things that we're going to answer. Okay. The reason I read, I started talking on consecration is this. If you don't understand the fact that you were bought with a price. Listen. You're not just being... You are not just being taught to be a Christian for the sake of Christianity. Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus died. This is a logical, historical event that can be argued out logically with archaeological facts and historical documents. Both in and outside the church. Jesus died and he rose again. It was is known to, to honest and people that are seeking into history. He died and he rose again. So if it is true that he died and he rose, never to die again, then only he should have the authority to be called Lord and only he should have the authority to tell us about life after death and we believe. Maybe we'll, we'll eventually come back on this and talk about um, apologetics some other day. But it is really important because consecration, if we don't understand that we have been bought, it will not matter what the word says. If we don't understand that we have been bought, 
then what the word says will not matter. Paul speaking and he says he's a born servant of Christ. Okay, he, he, he's talking about how his liberty is within Christ. His liberty and his freedom find expression within the jurisdiction of the person called Christ. And he, he, he rejoices in that fact. He rejoices in that fact. Let me read something to us. You know, I've even heard a lot of people ask something like, you know, if we have the New Testament, why do we still need the Old Testament? Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Thank you, Jesus. Look at this. Now, when he wrote this, he was talking of the Old Testament. He said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, he mean before, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. He said, whatsoever things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So what he was saying was, the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for us to learn. Were written for us to learn, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So in this, he was saying that the scripture, of course, points to a Messiah that was to come. He points to that. Let me read from verse, verse 1. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not place ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, The reproaches of them that reprove thee have fallen on me. For whatsoever times were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So he's saying that the scriptures in the Old Testament pointed to a Messiah that was someone. So it was written for us to learn of this and then speak of a hope that was to come. Okay? Now, I will come to that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. And this is the one that is even really important. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It says, Now, these things, of course, the context here was those who had murmured in the wilderness and were destroyed of a destroyer, you know, serpents, serpents, and beat them and whatnot. And look at verse 11. He said, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon which the ends of the world come. So he's saying that the things that happened in the Old Testament, of course, he was using a particular story, but this context, it will, not, it will not be out of context if we stretch it a bit to say that the Old Testament was written for examples for us so that we know that the things which happened are for our admonition. They, they happened for our admonition of, for us who the ends of the world are to come. So we get to see Paul speaking now. And this, or for example, when you read the story of Joseph, if anything, what the story of Joseph teaches you is that you flee. Is that you flee. Is that when Potiphar's wife invites you to the bedroom, what you do is you flee. Is you flee. 
That's what we get from that story. That when Potiphar's wife invites you, you, fl- you flee. I mean, if we read Daniel, what we get from Daniel's story is consecration. Daniel decided that he will not defile himself with the king's meat. Daniel and his friends, they stayed themselves and they separated themselves in Babylon. You know, and whatnot. And that is what we get from the Old Testament. They are written for examples that we, through the admonition, we might learn. They were written for our admonition. So, how does this apply to you? Listen, I heard a man of God say this and I will never forget. He said, communication might be faster now, but it is still communication. Travel might be faster now, but it is still travel. Have you not wondered and have you read the book of Ecclesiastes? And you read what Solomon said. And Solomon was lamenting. And he was saying it is vanity. Everything is vanity. He said what, to what end is the laying up of wealth? Of course now. The way to make money now. And the way to make money in Solomon's time. It might have been different. But it is amazing that the words. And the concerns of Solomon. Are still the concerns of many people today. The concerns of Solomon are still the concerns of many people today. Solomon said, of what use is it to make a lot of money and to lay it up only to die for another person to come and inherit it? And Solomon kept on saying, he said, you don't even know if the person that will inherit it will be a fool. Is that not the concern of many wealthy people today? In fact, many of them even give up hope and they share their riches to orphanages. Because they don't know if the person that will inherit will at the end of the day be a fool. Solomon said, he said, cast your bread upon many waters. For in many days, you know not which one shall come, shall come back. Give a little to seven, give a little to eight. You know, he was saying, in, and in that verse, you know, he, he spoke about that. He spoke down, he said, if you are waiting for the sky to be fine, you will not plant. Is this not the same advice that we give people today when we say, if you are waiting for, um, if you are waiting for all the lights to be green, you will never move? Or where we see, what that advice Solomon was giving, you know, give a little to seven, give a little to eight. He was talking of investment. He said, invest in many places because you don't know which one will come back in many days. He said, cast your bread upon water for you shall receive, you shall find it many days. Of course, the context there was telling us, invest again and again. Because you don't know the one that will come back. The same advice on investment Solomon was giving is the same advice that is still relevant in our day today. It's still relevant. Communication might be faster. It's still communication. Travel might be faster. It's still communication. Solomon was very rich and he spoke so much about the vanity of wealth. It is still the same things today. Solomon had many wives. Solomon had a lot of... Solomon used his life to experiment on vanities. Teaching us and telling us where pursuing appetite will alone will lead a man. And we have seen that consistently again and again. We have seen many wealthy people that have chased wealth solely end up committing suicide because the vanity of what they saw was so overwhelming for them that they couldn't hold on anymore. The vanity of what they saw was so overwhelming that they couldn't hold on to it anymore. Guys, am I communicating please? So, as it pertains to the word of God, can I tell you something? Listen, the word of God is still relevant in any context. As a matter of fact, when Paul was preaching, you see, 
A lot of people try to be mischievous when talking about the word of God and they say, oh, you see, um, it is, the, that era has passed. We live in a new era. We live, times have changed. Technology has evolved and whatnot, whatnot. Next week, we'll look at statistics. Many of the societal issues we, had, we have today, if we just follow the word, those societal issues will be next to nothing or at its barest minimum. They'll be next to nothing or at their barest minimum. So, listen to this. You see, God's word, it is still relevant in our context today. 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 The same things he says about many issues and areas of life. Is still Jesus said many years ago that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And I mean, <laughs> you see, he said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Jesus had a lot to say about money. That a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. I mean, you 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 read again and again. One verse I read many years ago, I will never forget, is in Job. It says, as a partridge seated upon its egg and it does not hatch, so does a man make money, but not by right. It shall leave him in the beast of his days, and he shall be a fool. Have you not seen people who have engaged in Yahoo? They were big boys, and they were caught. The wealth has left them in the midst of their days. They are a laughing stock now. All they have become is foolish. Jesus, like I said, like that verse I was quoting, a man's life does not belong in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Then you see that, and then you go back and Proverbs lets us understand that money has wings. It can fly away. A lot of us don't know that verse is in Proverbs. Money has wings. It can fly away. Have you not seen people who were very wealthy, and then they just became middle class all of a sudden. And some people cannot just take it. They lose their minds. They lose their mind. Not because it is easy, okay? But because all their definition of who they were and all they were was in their money, not in anything. If the definition of your life is in anything temporary, then trust me, the definition of your life is very fragile. If the definition of your life is in anything temporary, the definition of your life is small. If the whole of your life is in the chasing of money and nothing else, then the whole of your life is small. Because I tell you, on your deathbed, what will, ma what will matter is not how much money I have. What will matter is not how many cars I have. What will matter is not how many ladies I've slept with. I've read on philosophers who said they were atheists and whatnot. And when they kept on stop, and on their deathbed, you find many of them say things like, I, w I wish to be sure if, if I could know where I was going hereafter. Oh, I wish I could have known if there was a, a, a one after. There's, there's a philosopher who always shouted that there was no God. On his deathbed, he said that he, this philosopher, I think he purported hedonism or he continued a strand of it. He said that looking at the um, appropriateness of the universe, there has to be a creator. But his mistress on his deathbed said, of course, he's an old man. Maybe he has gone senile. But it is illogical to look at the exactness of creation and not know that there is a God. And 
if the definition of our lives does not come from him, come from all he said and all he's saying about us, then trust me, the definitions of our life is nothing but small. Guys, am I communicating, please? Am I communicating? Let me just um, wrap up with these three points I have. Why do we obey the word? Why the word? Why should your definition come from the word? Why should you stand by the word in a world that tells you that no, you get to choose your sexuality? In a world that tells us that you get to choose your gender? In a world that tells us that God can make a mistake? On the processing line, you can be a woman inside, but you're a man outside. You can identify as a deer. You can identify as a cockroach. You know, I identify as rich, okay? I do, and Canadian as well, praise God. That's how I identify. Anyways, you know, we live in a world of stupid double standards. And a lot of people try to bend the world. You know, I spent a lot of last week talking about that. You know, on philosophies, and we may not be able to go into um, world views yet. Maybe later, on the, on this teaching as we go on. Maybe later we talk about world views. But listen, God's word alone. Now, why should our loyalty be to God's word? Why should our loyalty be to God's word? I just itemized three things. Number one, God is wise. God is wise. God is wise. See, we serve the all-wise God. We serve one who is outside time, yet came within time to his creation to redeem them. We serve one who is outside time. In the beginning, God said, or as some other poet put it, God in the beginning said, either way, there is someone who was there before time began. There's someone who was there before time began. And he's the one that had something to say. So if there's someone who had something to say before time began, then only his word should make sense in the definition of time. The Bible says in Revelations, he said, For he has, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. If he's the one that created all things, yet was there before time, and he created all things for his pleasure, I mean, it is only wise that the creation lives in line with the creator. Because a product is only maximized when it is used in line with the intention that the creator created it to be. A product is maximized when it is only used in line with the intention of, the crea of, it, of its creation. So, um, I mean, let, let me look for something now. A... a a hammer can be used to murder someone. Permit, permit my gory example. It can be used to murder someone. But a hammer was not created for as a tool for murder. That's not why it was created. And that is why when you're using a hammer to murder someone, um, it's going to be more laborious. Because that's not why it was created. A lot of people try to swim against the tide and go against God's design, but it's a lot of struggle in futility. 
So God is wise. Listen, when Paul taught us about many things from God's word, when he, when he talked about marriage, marriage is not just a social societal construct. Paul lets us understand that the true definition of marriage, in fact, Jesus said, he at the beginning said, and at the beginning it was not so. He at the beginning said that a man shall leave his father and his mother. When Jesus said, he at the beginning said, he was quoting Moses who was writing down the, 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 what God said, or Jesus was quoting God. He said, he at the beginning said, it was God that was speaking that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined with his wife. And then Paul now went further to give us an idea. Paul was speaking. Paul said that a woman is supposed to symbolize the church. The man is supposed to symbolize Christ. The woman is supposed to submit to the man like, like the church to Christ. And the man is supposed to love the woman like Christ loves the church and gave his life for him. So you need to understand that when he talks of submission and headship in marriage among many of those things, for example, he was not talking about it from the standpoint that society was patriarchal. He was talking about it from the standpoint of the fact that there is a revelation behind it. As long except it is society that determined Paul's teaching to say to talk about the church submitting to Christ. Except it was society that determines that then it will not change. Paul said that we are not supposed to, we are supposed to honor our bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost. You don't go to a shrine and behave how you like. You behave according to the dictates of the deity that is being worshipped in that shrine. So Paul did not just say don't commit sex. He said, no ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost is the is the cornerstone for not indulging your passions the way you like. Is the cornerstone, is the rock, is the foundation for not indulging your passions the way you like. What is your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost? Praise the Lord. Your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we get I, I said all that for this purpose. That revelation was what birthed. Remember, Paul said these things were revealed to him by the Spirit. Revelation was what birthed the standards that Paul even gave us in the epistles. Revelation and wisdom that was given as an apostle. These were the things that were given to him. As revealed by the Spirit. So, it will be dubious to say, oh, that was just Paul speaking. No, it was revealed by the Spirit, therefore it was God speaking. It was God speaking. So we get, if Paul just told us, don't do this, we'll say, ah, Paul is just speaking his mind. You know, but Paul said, many times, you see, Paul will tell you things and give you revelation of Christ and eternal realities that mirror what he was telling you to do. If marriage is between Christ, if marriage symbolizes Christ and the church, and intimacy, in quote, can only be between Christ and the church, or there is a relationship Christ and his church can only have that many other people or no other unbelieving person can have, therefore, sex should only be between a man symbolizing Christ and the woman symbolizing the church. Praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. Something else. Second one, we all know him. Why should we obey God's word? We all know him. If he died for all, if he is wise, if he is the creator of the universe, it is only wise that we live according to his dictates because he is honorable in all things. It is the honorable thing. Listen, if there is a creator, then it is only wise that we live according to his dictates. Just like I heard um, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, blessed memory, he said, he said, it is wisdom to pray. I know the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 14, 7, he said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So if you know that there's an infinite being and you are finite, it's only wise to draw from the strength of the infinite being. It's only wisdom to draw from the strength of the infinite being and be submitted to his purposes. It is only wisdom to do that. Because you are limited and he's unlimited. He is unwise. Therefore, in subscribing to his dictates, you are not being foolish. Irrespective of how woke the world is, you are not being foolish. As a matter of fact, their foolishness, their wisdom is being counted to foolishness in line with God. Because the wisdom of the wise will always come to an end. And the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So, it only, in fact, you are logically making more sense. I mean, we, we see Jesus say, he said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went and sold all that he had so that he might obtain a goodly pearl. So he's using terms of profit. It does not matter what you lose in following God. You have made profit. So also, if you lose anything or you are called names for being in line with God's word, you have won. People that are mocking you are the people that are losing. Everybody mocked Noah until rain started falling. Everyone mocked Noah until rain began to fall. And number three, and finally, we trust him. Listen, you will only... Consecration is a show. I said this at Supernatural class. Consecration is a show of honor and trust. Consecration is a show of honor and trust. Is a show of honor and trust. Listen, I, 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 and I said this, that the children of Israel, they realized that there definitely had to be a God. And then the Lord had taken Moses up the, up the, up the hill for 40 days. And they were trusting and expecting that, oh my God, Moses had gone up the hill for 40 days. He's not coming down. They did not trust the God that brought them out to carry them through. So they had to put their trust in something. Because there is eternity in the heart of every man. Every man knows that there has to be a creation that is bigger than him. And that is what men always sought to do. Men always sought to, some of them worshipped the sun. Some of them worshipped the stars. Some of them worshipped different heavenly bodies. Some of them made image and creations. Some of them did so many things so that they can worship properly. Or they can put their faith and trust in a deity. And that is why Paul, when he went to um, 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 Corinth or Athens now, Paul said, he said, you worship, and they wrote, they wrote on, a, on a stone, they, they scribbled to the unknown God. He said, that one you are seeking to find, he's the one I want to reveal to you. So Paul is saying that that God that every man wants to know, that is the God I want to reveal to you. 
That God that is in the heart of every man, that man actually knows that there is a God, but in finding him, they have gone in the way of error. They have worshipped the stones. They have worshipped the birds. They have worshipped their ancestors. Paul is saying that that is the God I want to show to you. And because it is true, what these men did, because they, they saw Moses off and they said, you know what, Let we have to put our trust somewhere. They went to a calf. They went to a calf. They, consec- they changed consecration to a calf. Your consecration will always flow in the direction of what you trust. People who trust in money don't play with their finances. Don't play with their budgeting. They, they, they may not even give you anything because their trust is in money. As long as the definition of their life is in that money, as long as what they trust in is in that money, you cannot touch them. You cannot touch their money because you are consecrated to what you trust. A man who is giving a charm, he follows the instructions of the herbalist to the T. To the T because that is where trust is. So also, we are consecrated to God because we trust him. I know that you will not mismanage my life, so I trust you. If your word says this is who I am, that is who I am. If your word says this is how I behave, that is how I behave. If your word says this is, who I, this is what I should be, that is what I should be. I'll leave you with two verses of scripture. Before I leave you with that, I say that again. Consecration is in line with what you honor and trust. You are consecrated to what you honor and trust. If we trust the Lord, then we honor him. In our, in our being dedicated and devoted to him, then we show our trust in aligning ourselves to everything his word has said about us. Nothing more, nothing less. No additions, no subtractions. We trust him in quotes blindly because it is, he is who he is. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We trust him. I'll leave you with two verses. I'll leave you with two verses. Turn your Bible with me. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Jeremiah 2, 13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. Two. It says, they have forsaken me, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out, or they have hewn for themselves, cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Look at what he says. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have left the almighty God. That's the first sin. That's the first. Then the second sin is that they have turned to a God which is no God at all. They have turned to a God which is no God at all. That is the next issue. If you read the context, the verses before says something very important. It says, go and ask through the, through the land. Nobody has forsaken their God, but Israel has forsaken their God. They have, they have hewn for themselves systems that hold no water. Systems. They have left the, the one who satisfies in search for satisfaction where there is no satisfaction. I heard Jefferson Becke say something many years ago. I will never forget. He said, idols over promise but under deliver. 
Oh, powerful. He said, idols over promise but under deliver. There's always that thought of, okay, maybe this drug did not hit her. Maybe the next one will hit her. Maybe this masturbation did not enter properly. Maybe I was distracted. Maybe this sex did not do well. Listen, if appetites, are, if appetites can satisfy, once should have been enough. If appetites can satisfy, once should have been enough. Eternal satisfaction is in Jesus. And that is why he said, he said, if I give you this water, you will never thirst again. One time you are, I know you are satisfied. If his word says it, then we trust his word. Because he is wise. We honor him and we trust him. Hence, we are consecrated to him. He is our anchor in this world of many tides, many waves. The winds blowing in contrary direction. He remains our anchor. Finally, I leave you with one more verse. Colossians 3. It says, set your affections on things above. 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 Set your affections on things above. Jesus said, if any man puts put, um, um, treasures, let those put your treasures on the earth where moth, rust, and robbers do break in and destroy them or steal them. He said, set your affections in heaven where robbers cannot take it, where moth and rust cannot destroy it. Set your, he said, set your treasures in heaven. For where the treasures of a man is, there his heart will be. Jesus said, he said, he said, the, the, he was basically letting us know that the wealth in this world does not compare to the worth of a human soul. He said, what shall it profit a man? He's using profit business terms. What will it profit a man if the man gains the whole world and lose his soul? Place premium on your soul. Place premium. Listen, can I say this about devotion? Many of us can finish reading novels in two days, but you cannot read your Bible. Place premium on your soul. Consecrated to his will and his word. Many of us can binge on series, but we cannot listen to sermons or at least watch sermons. I prefer watching sermons. We cannot watch sermons on YouTube. Place premium on your soul. Place premium on your soul. Many of us can do many things, but we don't have time for prayer. Place premium on your soul. What that lets us understand is all the wealth of this world, if we liquidate them and put them on a scale, the weight of a soul will outweigh all the riches of this world. And the devil knows this. So the devil will go, the devil knows the worth of a soul. So he's cheating people because they don't know the worth of their soul. The, 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 um, the, the strength of business is basically doing for people what they cannot or what they will not do for themselves. So if you have a product, if they can do it, why don't they do it themselves and, and they won't buy from you? So the strength of a business is selling to people what they cannot or what they will not um, um, do for themselves. So that's what the devil is doing. Because people don't know the premium of their soul, he's cheating them out of it. And that is why he told Jesus, he said, bow before me, I will give you all the riches of the earth. And see, if it was a lie, it would not have been a temptation. If it was a lie, it would not have been a temptation. It would have been just pure deceit. 
So can I tell you something? Everything that this world is offering in terms of, you know, appetite, pleasure, and, and everything it is, when it stands before the Almighty, it all loses value. Don't be the believer who will stand, who has an opinion, and that opinion comes crashing with the word of God, and that opinion will win. Never. Let me just end with this. Side with the word. Be consecrated to God's plan alone. So if the word says it is enough, it does not matter the movies I watch that are portraying homosexual people. And that's how those ideologies are being sold to us. Homosexual people. Or the gay men choir that are singing, we are coming for your children. Or, you know, you watch movies where you see a woman and a woman kissing and then we say things like, oh, well, it's them. I will never endorse it, but I, I, let me just be quiet about it. You know, or, or you know, you, you say things like, man, I have to do anything to get this money. Or you can't give. Or there's just an area of your life. See, you can be growing in every area of your life. But there's a particular area that God has not yet touched. And that's why Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. He said he sent Titus to walk the giving grace that was in the Macedonian church to them. Because they are bound in utterance. But you see that giving, they need to grow in it. You might be able to pray in tongues, flow in the things of the spirit, do many of all those things well. But there is that area in your life that God cannot touch. That's the area that the word of God has no influence on. Child of God, we must grow up. We must grow up. We must grow up. God is our heart's desire. He's the reason we live. So we must grow up. We must grow up. He alone has our consecration. He alone has our desires. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Jesus as we have heard your word, thank you for grace that is made available to act on it. Lord, we trust you that this message will reach as many people as need to listen to it. Thank you, mighty God. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.